0: for Salesforce. Hello, and welcome to the next episode of Sales Operations Demystified. We're joined at the offices of Cube 19. Now, Cube 19 are a, almost a part or a brother company to Epster. Um, I've actually met Matt before in a meeting where we were chatting about marketing stuff. Um, But Matt is actually pretty experienced on the sales side and sales management and sales operations, Yep, which is going to be super interesting because we've had a whole range of sales operations people on the webinar slash podcast, some of which have had no sales experience before, uh, but are in the operations role, some of which have kind of come through the sales journey. Mm -hmm. And I find this really interesting how well, actually, one of the questions we're going to go through is, is sales experience necessary? So we'll get yep. into that shortly. Um, so I, as an admin, uh, I think everyone knows the webinar slash podcast is now live on iTunes. So if you Google search SalesOps Demystified iTunes, you'll see it there. Um, and I want to thank everyone for attending and everyone for listening. And we're going to jump into the questions. Perfect. So let's kick off. Actually, probably with more of an open question to you, Matt, in your kind of Journey to where you are today, and also weaving Cube Nineteen because I do quite want to talk about them as well. So okay. you could take
1: it away. Yeah, not a problem at all. Hi everyone, thanks for joining us, and thank you for having me as well. Um, so yeah, again, my name is Matthew Sarah. I'm head of sales now at Cube Nineteen, and while I'm just head of sales by title, right. I actually manage all of our systems and sales enablement tools, as wow. well as our process, our company global pipeline, and then all of the things related to operations as well. Um, so quite an expansive list of things yeah. that uh, I'm accountable for. Um, But how my journey kind of really began, um, I got into tech sales back in 2010, um, and I joined a company called Newsgator. And at the time, they were Microsoft North America Partner of the Year. Small company, uh, maybe about 70 people at the time, uh, and they built a social sharing platform based on uh, SharePoint, which is in the Microsoft stack. Ironically enough, um, I had taken a step back from being in a full sales cycle and managing that to just doing business development work Mm -hmm. because I was really fascinated by the product and what it was doing for the clients and the market. So I joined with them. And within about a month of that, Microsoft bought our biggest competitor for $1.4 billion. really? So immediately, uh, as you can imagine, when Microsoft says, stop calling Newsgator, people (laughs) tend to listen. So while that was uh, a tough pill to swallow for a lot of us, uh, it actually opened the door to a lot of opportunities for me. So from that Um, People started leaving the organization, going to other places, um, obviously because of the circumstances. Mm -hmm. So as people left the organization, I was able to take on more accountability and Mm -hmm. responsibility and kind of diversify my skill sets and competencies. Mm -hmm. So at that point, I started doing sales operations. I started managing the business development group and then also doing sales as well. Um, from that, um, they already had a well-defined sales process because we had someone that was dedicated to that. So yeah. it was we, kind of... Was, you? That was somebody else. It was somebody prior to it Yeah. His name was Dave. Great guy. Um, so he had really laid the foundation of success for us. So mm-hmm. it was more or less letting me dip my toe in the water and see what he had already done and how it worked and just make incremental improvements on that. Yeah. Um, from there, kind of an interesting story. Uh, a, a woman named Rebecca had been trying to recruit me for months and months to join an organization and I kept telling her, no, that I was dedicated and loyal to this organization. I'm going to stay. And so she finally convinced me into a phone call And on the precipice that will help us define what we should be looking for. You know, what should somebody be doing in the first 30, 60, 90 days if they're going to start a new sales organization, Sales organization, as well as all the process and operations and sales enable tools to make that effective and efficient. Mm-hmm. So little did I know the CEO was actually on that phone call. Mm-hmm. Uh, so immediately after that, they called me back and asked if I would come, come to an interview. you must have. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, Um, I've always been a very analytical and uh, process-oriented person. Um, I always want to know the why behind what I'm doing, and I think that's critically important. And I can talk about that in a little bit more detail. But uh, essentially, uh, yeah, the next day I met him on a Saturday and kind of like out of a film, we sat there and talked for an hour and a half, and then he grabbed a napkin and wrote an offer on it and passed across the table and uh, began my journey into more sales operations. Uh So when I joined that organization, um, there were three people they had in their sales group. Uh, right out of university. And when I walked in, they're all on Facebook, of course. Um, and they had absolutely no process in place. Um, they had nothing done in the CRM, which at the time was Salesforce. Um, they had no other tools that they were using whatsoever. So it was pretty much a clean slate. So from that, I grew that organization with the help of many other people, obviously, from three to 35 reps and from the initial annual run rate of about 200,000 to an annual recurring revenue of upwards of 15, 20 million, something like that. Yep. So, so were you, your role there was specifically. Operations. It wasn't actually. So I've always straddled the fence. Um, mm-hmm. It's one of those things when people think you're good at something, they're going to keep asking you to do it. Yeah. And I have a hard time saying no. Um, so I was in charge of initially I had my own individual quota. I managed mm-hmm. the sales organization. Yeah. Well, halfway through the role okay. and then just managed the sales organization, both in terms of operations as well as sales enablement and yeah. leadership as well. Nice. Yeah. And so that, the, the end of that role takes up to which year? That took us up to 2017. So, yep. So that was about six years of that, uh, three years there and a couple years and three years at uh, Newsgator as well. And and why did you choose to leave the second one? Well, quite frankly, it wasn't a lot of challenge left. Um, My CSO was actually one of the investors in the company. Uh So there was no more upward mobility for me. And quite frankly, I'm one of those people, even if I'm really good at something, if I'm not being challenged, yeah. I can get quite complacent. Um, and there was a day where when I was sitting with one of my representatives and he asked me to help him write this email. And about five minutes gone by, he's like, why haven't you written anything? And he's like, you've written this email 10 times already today. just reword it. And I was like, That's the problem. I'm no longer being challenged. Mm-hmm. I think at that moment, he looked at me and said, you're going to quit, aren't you? Mm-hmm. So, um, and, you know, there was a lot of other circumstances as well. They're a great company. They treated me very well. Uh, really appreciated all the friendships and colleagues I made over that course the time there. Um, but mm-hmm. I always wanted to work overseas as well. And so really wanted to get that international business experience. And mm-hmm. the company had also grown from... 30 people I was number 30 to 250 plus mm-hmm. and I really enjoy that kind of seed funding all the way through series a series a and b yeah. and then to exit so when it starts to get a little bit too big and there's a lot of uh kind of not a lot of creativity left that's when I kind of decided to make a move
0: so the role that you have at the moment did that start off as
1: head of sales the role here yeah the cube 19 yes so the title was always head of sales yeah. um but again, one of the things that they were really looking for was to kind of codify their entire process, mm. really make sure that they understood you know, from A to Z what they needed to do to drive efficiencies within the business and how you could focus on the right activity at the right time and mm. how you can use data essentially to, to work more effectively and smarter, not just as hard. Hence sales operations.
0: Yeah, I guess so. So in answer to the question, how did you get into sales operations, you actually, that first role was in the field, but then you've kind of been doing everything management, sales, and operations throughout your whole career? Yeah, pretty much. So so right now in the cube role, if you had to try, and this might not be possible, but try and split your time between those three areas in terms of the percentage, what percentage do you spend time selling, what percentage do you spend time managing, and then
1: operating? It's a good question. I, I think in any role, time management is probably one of the things that everyone struggles with from time to time. For me, um, when I first came in, it, there wasn't a whole lot of process that was well-defined. Um, everybody had been just getting on by doing it their own way. Mm-hmm. Um, so we didn't really have a well-defined structure even for, you know, when is when should an opportunity be an opportunity? When should you close out an opportunity? Mm-hmm. Just kind of some basic stuff, right? And you know, everybody was going on gut. Well, I think they're going to buy one day. It's mm-hmm. like, well, you think <laughs> that's great. Um, glad that you're optimistic, mm-hmm. but let's, let's put some actual evidence behind that. Um, so for the first three to six months I was here, I actually just focused on kind of reviewing what they actually had in place because there's not a, there's no sense in changing things that are already working. Um, you don't want to convolute the process. You don't want to make too much change at once, or people just kind of throw their hands up and feel overwhelmed. So focused uh, those first three to six months on just purely reviewing their current CRM, which is Salesforce looking at that process um, Mm -hmm. all the way through and how it also has knock-on effect to CS, to implementation, to all the different groups and business units within CUBE-19. And then basically, since we've got that foundation laid and then we've done all the documentation and we've made all the necessary changes within those systems, then reviewed all the sales enablement tools, Mm -hmm. put those into more of an optimal position to be used. And then from there, um, now it's more focused on booking and analyzing what we're doing, um, seeing if the process is correct, Mm -hmm. and then seeing where their gaps might be, and then also having spot coaching for individuals where they excel in one area but may need a little bit of help and support Mm -hmm. in another. So in terms of the actual amount of time you spend studying at the moment? Um, Probably 30%, not much. Mm -hmm. Um, We have a really good team, um, so we hire really good talent. Uh Um, So where I usually come in is around strategy. So when we're going into a discovery call um, or what do they want to get out of that discovery call? How are you going to align on next steps, Mm. Um, putting in together negotiation strategies and things like that? So I'm not doing any demos or anything like that at this point. And how big is the sales organization at Q19 at the moment? So at the moment, we are 10 right now. Um, We started when I started, I think it was about six. Um, So we hired an entire business development group Mm. to kind of help territory map. Um, The market we serve, which is the recruitment industry, is pretty expansive, and there's an extremely long tail of the market. Yeah. So out of I don't know 20,000 recruiting agencies just in the UK, a majority, if not 60% to 70% of those are sub-10 users. And obviously, you can't buy the data to see which CRMs they're using, yeah. which are built on top of from an analytics perspective. So. Interesting.
0: Yep. Question, and I think we may have alluded to this already, is what you think makes a really good sales operations person?
1: Yeah, there's, it's, it's an easier question than it's going to sound, um, but really helping people understand the why behind what they're doing. Um, when I first started my career in 2007 on mm-hmm. a university, um, my boss told me to do something. I just jumped and did it, right? This is like, if you don't mm-hmm. do it, you're going to be in trouble. Now we've kind of grown up in this generation of immediacy and we have access to information at our fingertips. And so inevitably, the first question most people get when they're told to do something is why, mm-hmm. right? Why should I make hundred calls? Why should I send this many emails? Why should I use this tool? Mm. And so it's really about not just telling them what to do, but helping them understand that if you do this now, Mm. you're putting yourself in a position for success later. And so that you can start to build that commitment and accountability across one another. Mm. So instead of just telling someone that, hey, you need to enter information into the CRM so that we can track conversion rates across stages, for example, Mm. explain to them why that's important. So it could be something as simple as, you know, we want to measure loss rates. And we yeah. want to win, we want to win quickly, but we want to lose more quickly. Um, if you've not done a really good discovery mm-hmm. call and then you're holding on to it and you've got happy years thinking that you gonna believe go they're going to sell, you end up spending an exorbitant amount of time working with deals that, you know, may close, but the probability of that could be 20, 30%. Whereas if mm. you just get people and uh, organizations out of your pipeline that aren't committed and aren't serious or don't have well-defined use cases, um, then you're just going to be wasting your time, quite frankly. So
0: what well, you are actually saying, I think is if- the manage or like influence, which is in my mind like part of management, is really important to be able to get the sales team that you're working with to change the way they work. Yeah, right? exactly. Because if you don't, if you can't do that, then they're not going to listen to anything you
1: say. Exactly. And from a sales operations perspective, I mean, can't measure what's not there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you you can put documentation in place and you can have it very accessible for everyone um, to go back to and refer to, but. Quite frankly, people tend to stick to their habits. And they fall back into those bad habits. Uh-huh. Um, so it's about just helping them understand that if, if you can give us this information, I can better analyze where we can win for you in, in these areas. Mm-hmm. Um, so really helping it be very specific to the individual. So, yeah, I think it's important instead of just saying, oh, you need to make sure that this field's updated or you've mm-hmm. done this and you've sent out this many emails or you follow up on these inbound lead process. It's, it's also just as important to explain the the why behind everything we're doing because yeah. then people buy into it more when they understand what the value is for them mm-hmm. and how they can provide value. Um, so really, that that's the two things that most people look at is, is the Vs. Like, I want to be valuable and I want to provide value. And if you can explain how they can do that, they're going to be in a much more better position to exactly. carry that ball forward and keep doing it consistently. Because we ask this question with favorite guest and
0: we, it's of interesting because some people focus on the I say hard skills, so like they need to be an analytical, or you need to do this and this. And then other people are more like you need to be able to influence and work with people, so it's like the soft side, as so like the hard side. Um, and I find that really interesting how the role you, you really need to be to know your numbers and analyze data, mm-hmm. and then you also really have to have this almost like management and influence skills, right?
1: Mm-hmm, yeah, I mean effective communication. And I always joke with people, um, although I've always been really good at uh, external selling. I think I'm better at internal selling, mm. getting people to buy into what we're doing and mm. why it's important to them instead of saying that the business is asking me to do this. So yeah, the more you can effectively communicate what you're asking people to do and what the benefit is to them, you're just going to mm-hmm. in a much better position. Next onto my favorite question of uh, this whole podcast
0: is, do you think sales experience is a necessity to be an effective sales operations person? No,
1: no, I there's some, I think some tangible benefits. Mm. Um, what, what are the benefits? I, I mean, you know, what's a, if you've lived that role, you know how tough it can be and how many different balls are up in the air at one time. And how many times do you have different fields? You're supposed to be entering information mm-hmm. into. Um, so from a sales perspective, you get the kind of cloud that they're living in every day. And how do you drive organization attention to detail mm-hmm. follow up and follow through and at the highest quality possible. Um, so it's about understanding how you can mitigate all the noise. So, you as a sales operations person may be asking them to do this thing, but they've been asked for 15 other things this day, mm-hmm. not just by their internal colleagues, but then 15 things by the prospects they're potentially working with or mm-hmm. existing clients. So one of the things I always do with people is, you know, if they come and ask me for something, I'll say more than happy to do that. Can you explain the use case? And if they can explain it and articulate it well, then I say, okay, here are the 20 things I have on my list right now. Where do you think this should fit in? Mm-hmm. And then we come to an agreement on how we can drive that together. But in the meantime, what should you be doing to, to kind of be self-sufficient as well?
0: We get that as well with the marketing team, right? We have a trellis board because you know, in the marketing team, everyone's like, "Yeah, you need to be good for this," and we're like, "Put in the trellis board, and then we can process." So, totally yeah. understand that.
1: Yeah, so it's not just yeah. Sales ops is one of those things that you can, if you're if you're analytical and you're process oriented, you can do really really well. It's mm-hmm. about salespeople are kind of a little bit crazy, to be honest, right? <laughs> they have a different mindset, so yeah. it's about being able to get into that mindset.
0: And, and so if you. It can be useful to have almost been in that mindset before, e.g., have been in sales before, so you can understand that. But it's also not impossible to do the role without being able to understand it, even if you haven't done it before. Definitely not. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Cool. Um, Current or favorite,
1: actually, no, let's do current tech stack
0: that you guys are running.
1: Yeah. So, a part of our MarTech stack is, I mean, again, we're a business of sub 50 people. So, obviously, as you get into large organizations, it's much bigger. Um, So we currently use, for our CRM, which is Salesforce, Uh, we obviously use Epsta for email campaigns and integration into Salesforce to track all those activities, those metrics, and to do business development work, um, and basically manage the sales cycle and communication. Uh, We also use Jiminy, uh, which is a conference yeah. tool. Yeah. Yep, really good tool. To we use it for coaching as well. Um, we can create playlists though so that people can listen back to different segments of a sales process. Mm-hmm. We've even created an entire onboarding platform within that. So nice. we just basically hand them the playlist and say, hey, new- "Start listening to a new hire." So you have is that like
0: extracts from real customer calls mm-hmm. and notes or someone speaking about how it was good yep. and why it was good. That's really cool. Yep, you so you can just, it, whenever someone joins you, you
1: should send that to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really nice. We should link out to Jimny. Yep. Um, cool. Yeah, it's a good tool. Um, and then we also use Cluster uh, for yeah, our analytics. Yeah. Yep. We've had Rory on the podcast. Nice. Yep, yeah, he's a good man. Um, so yeah, he and Dan for, are so very what do you is, um what, what does Cluster do for you guys? So they do all the analytics. So they read all the data that's within CRM mm-hmm. in, in our CRM sales force. Um, so we have dashboards for each individual, for each team. Um, so in Cluster. In Cluster. So it sits on top of Salesforce and, mm-hmm. and gives you more insights about what we were doing. Yeah, exactly. If anybody knows anything about any CRM, the mm. reporting, look, you can get the information, but the biggest problems with data are either you can't get the information, I can get it, but I can't get it in real time, or I don't trust the quality of the data. Yeah. Um, and then every decision we make in sales operations is mm-hmm. based off of flawed reasoning and mm-hmm. flawed data, which means we're going to further exacerbate or go to market strategies. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we use cluster to help not just manage performance and set targets. We're not a very uh, hit you over the head kind of business. You know, we have targets of like, let's say 40 calls, but Mm -hmm. the real target is how many ops have you created in the business development group? How many of those have moved on to a certain stage within the process of their sales qualified? Um, You know, from a sales perspective, it's, you know, about the optionality in the pipeline, as I refer to it as. So you know, you don't want to have just a couple big deals in your pipeline mm. and, you know, at varying stages, you want different size deals that have different velocities throughout the sales process. So, yep. Cluster helps us read time and stage They help us kind of any metric you really want. Um, they can help surface for you nice. and be able to kind of identify, you know, where things are happening. Um, so they do inflow and outflow too. So when you look at it, a new month and you're like, oh, I've got a million quid in the pipeline. Mm. Well, how much of that flowed and pushed from the last month and how much of it's still viable? Right. So really getting nice. the behind the information, which uh-huh. is key um, instead of just looking at a vanity metric, which is 1 million in the pipeline. Uh-huh. Right. So use cluster for that. Um, we also use um, get accept for mm-hmm. our e-signing all of our yes, contracts yeah, and we yeah. track and measure all of that. Uh, we have we have LinkedIn Navigator as well, obviously for a whole host of reasons, mm-hmm. and then a new one that we just implemented um, should have been implemented a while ago. Mm-hmm. Um, we are using now Vidyard, uh, which yes. is a video messaging tool. Yeah. Nice. So yeah, it's probably the one I'm I'm most excited about right now, just because it is the it's kind of new. Yeah. Uh, it's not new to me. I've been using their free version for a couple of years, and especially with what we sell, which is we sell growth analytics and data to. Uh, recruiting industries. Yeah. Or agencies. And what we find is that it's really hard to call someone up and say, you know, what are your growth objectives? What are you looking to accomplish? And how are you using data to do that? And they're like, oh, well, we run reports. We're not a KPI business, but yet yeah, we track CV sent first interviews. So mm-hmm. you're a metric driven business. Um, but um, I think for us being able to show software to get them to be interested right then and there yeah. it's gotten us a lot better engagement and a lot better conversion. Uh, so when we were still on the free trial, uh, one of my sales representatives, Tom, he actually sent out a Vidyard, just complete pitch, two and a half minutes, sent it out. The guy wrote back, Great pitch, call me right now. Really? Right. So I
0: think the Vidyard just let's yeah.
1: jump in it it allows you to do really sweet, fast-screen recording videos with your face that you can paint. It out does. Um, and then with the actual paid version, you can have libraries of content. So basically, yeah, nice. I can carousel videos. I can gate them. I uh, can uh, have a call to action at the end of them. I can nice. integrate it directly into our website within a microsite, essentially, so yeah, that they can yeah. transverse. From my email that goes out, they click the link uh, on the video. It'll have a personalized message from me. Then it'll roll into whatever you want. Maybe it's a use case we solve for. Maybe it's um, a customer testimonial. Maybe it's a, a product feature. I'm not a huge fan of showing product feature, but tied to something that can be useful. Um, but essentially, then they go to the website, they watch this, and then they can click right into anything else about the organization. And we track all that through Pardot, which is our marketing automation tool. All that information gets fed back into Salesforce along yeah. with EPS to scores, along with everything else that we collect from these different tools. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so, your
0: favorite out of all of those, your favorite one or the one that's really like crushing for you at the moment?
1: Um, we use EBSTA the most. Um, I guess it shouldn't be a surprise. Um, we do, so essentially, what I have uh, our business development group doing is they have two active campaigns running mm-hmm. at all times. And anywhere, and I let, I let them have some freedom with this, um, you know, set up the cadence, try it, let's A-B test it. Um, nobody ever is going to be 100% right all the time. Mm-hmm. So let's see if something works. So we'll do a series of, you know, three to five emails about through Epsta. And in between those, we have calls that are going out following yeah. up on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also now are integrating the Vidyard into Epsta. So when we send out an mm-hmm. Epsta, the Vidyard's right there. Mm-hmm. And it's just all automated. Um, so from that perspective, and also because the industry in which we serve, none of these people have voicemails, mm-hmm. emails. Best way to get hold of. Them. I mean, because we can call so many times and they're just so busy running around putting out yeah. fires or going to meet clients or whatever they might be doing that uh, these managing directors and executives are rarely at their desks. So the best way for us to communicate is through email and then within the email through video messaging. Nice. Yep. Uh, we touched on this earlier on the data quality piece.
0: Yeah. Um, how do what do you guys do around data quality and <laughs> How do, you, how do you deal with those policies? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So uh, I'm laughing because we all know that it's a never-ending saga mm. uh, or battle. Um, you know, it's one of those things, that, again, going back to explaining the why to people, why it's important that they do this. So between cluster and between some nav- uh, some native Salesforce reporting that I've set up, I have fields that allow me to quickly spot check and mm. see, okay, if this, this hasn't been updated, there's more likely more things within this account that nice. haven't been updated. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of put out my own, like, early warning flags or, like, little tsunami buoys out there, you know, make sure that I can't be everywhere at every time, and people are always going to have parts that they miss. I'm guilty of it myself. Mm. So it's best, what can I do to make sure that I at least can get an understanding of what's starting to go wrong before it's gone wrong, Mm. and I can't then affect a positive outcome.
0: Nice. So you need, like, specific reports you have in Salesforce that will flag when, on an account, some field is not there. And yeah normally says to you that, okay, maybe there's other stuff, maybe I should go
1: in. Yeah, definitely. And usually it's as simple as creating a next step field uh, Mm. on any opportunity. If somebody's not updating the next step, every time they speak to an account, there's probably other things going on. Because I mean, the next step is, supposed be to be the next thing that you're going to be trying to accomplish and what, what do you want to get out of that next meeting yeah. and everything like that. So if you're not doing those things, there's probably other things that have been yeah. missed in the cycle as well. So
0: if that's, that's a really nice little tip is if you don't have a – if that's in Salesforce. Native yeah, Salesforce.
1: so just the opportunity level, I just created a field with a, a text, box. Nope, text box. Nope, text box. Yep, basically it's a little bit uh, archaic, I guess it sounds like, when you describe it, but basically what I have them do – is they should be updating or touching their accounts at least once a week, even if they're mm-hmm. not actively engaged. Let's say you've had a discovery call with someone and they can't meet for three weeks. Mm-hmm. Well, you shouldn't just let three weeks go by before you get to that next meeting and then say, Hey, how's the last three weeks been? Mm-hmm. Should be drip feeding them information through app stuff. We have campaigns set up to do that for people that are in sales cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have pick lists that show us what their use cases are so that we can send out the right apps to campaign yeah, with, with the right content, the right video in the right mid right Yep. And so, that's nice. Yeah. So basically, what I have them do at the next step stage is just say what the date is of the next step when you mm-hmm. it. So today, the 28th or 29th of March, 28th. Yep. And then, you know, spoke to Tom. Um, next meeting is, you know, April 2nd. We're going to be demoing these specific things, just that simple. That's like an ideal. That's what an ideal BDR sales rep
0: would be doing, right? That exactly. Nice
1: update. Yeah. And it's some of those things like you might have it in your head, but if you're talking to, you know, like our inside team, they're working 15 opportunities a month per person. So the chances that you start to, you know, cross over between what you thought you heard mm. from one client and what you heard from another yeah. can kind of cause confusion. So 50 ops yeah. per person. I can't really imagine yeah. like how hectic that must be. 15. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> we're we're going, we're hoping to get to 50. Actually, no, I wouldn't want 50. Too much um, for one person. No, not only that, but I mean, again, let, let's be more efficient, you yeah. know. So let's work on, you know, losing early and making sure we're spending the time with the right people, yeah, and then nice. we can close more deals. So we look at, you know, what's our conversion rate from discovery to presentation? Mm-hmm. Once we, If we do a really good job on discovery, we close upwards of 60 70% of everybody that we demonstrate. Yeah. Nice.
0: That's actually something that I haven't heard anyone talk about, is losing early. Lose early. Lose often. Because, actually, you're not trying to maximize the amount of opportunities you have. You're trying to maximize the deals, right? And so... If you're not losing early, you're spending time on opportunity, more opportunity. that so don't don't close that time's wasted.
1: Yep. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So one of the metrics I look at, which is actually the next question oh, is, but well, so the next question is the single yeah. biggest metric you would judge someone. So, but let's talk about this one and then move into that one. That's actually one of them. Okay. Um,
1: that's I, I look to. I really look at time and stage, and the reason why I look at time and stage, and again, right. yeah. So. Basically, you can't move to discovery until the actual... So we have qualifications on mm. first stage, then discovery. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that? Then after that, we have presentation, then mm-hmm. solution development, and, and then, then, then negotiation, contract out, contract signed. Nice. Um, it varies a little bit when we get to the enterprise level. We'll actually mm-hmm. have another stage in there because okay. um, there are some variances, obviously, you know, with the complexities apply. of the business, yeah. Um, but essentially, what we want to look at is that we know we can improve our close rates if we just do a better job in the discovery process. Mm. And what I look at when I see time and stage is I look at it by the size of the opportunity against our historical records of closed one. Mm-hmm. And if it starts to get outside that boundary, interesting. cluster will flag yeah, I,
0: I was yeah. going to say it is in cluster, right? So, so yeah. sorry, that, was quite, that sounds really interesting. We went through it quite fast. So you have historic closed one data mm-hmm. of time and stage by size, mm-hmm. and then each week or whatever you're you're looking at and comparing to what the ideal route through the process is exactly. based on size. Okay, cool. That's
1: really interesting. Yeah, it's important because you want to emulate what success looks like. Mm -hmm. Um, So what we look at when we say time and stage is I'm not necessarily looking. You can have some, for example, that, you know, normally, let's say on a sub 10,000 pound deal, you're in discovery for only 10 days before you Mm -hmm. get to presentation. Mm -hmm. But on on average, normally for a close one. Yeah, on average. I'm just giving some hypothetical numbers. And so let's say one opportunity is showing that it's been in stage discovery for 20 days. Well, there might be good justification for that. They're out on you know summer holiday, right? Uh-huh. They're having surgery, or they have other project priorities, or you know, somebody's doing something else, they just can't you know, evaluate the software at this point. So there are some exceptions to that. However, the reason I look at time and stage is to see how well the sales representative is boxing in the opportunity mm-hmm. and really creating momentum within the deal. So what I mean by that is that if you've just done a discovery call with someone, and they aren't wanting to put something on the diary within the next seventy-two hours. Mm. There's something wrong. Okay. Like unless they can justify it and say that you know they're on holiday or they have other projects going on, there's something you missed that hasn't made it. This is an urgent priority for the business, and so you need to really start to evaluate that. Damn. So that's just one way in which I look at the strength and the health of deals mm-hmm. is how the how quickly the next meeting is booked mm-hmm. and how long it's in stage for. So and so that's that's a good way that you
0: you judge your reps by. Yeah, well you, you could have a report that says average time in that stage over the past six months by rep. Mm-hmm. And then you could see the potentially a low performing rep would have maybe a longer time of stage.
1: Yep. Is that right? Cool. Correct. Yeah. Cause usually what'll happen um, for newer reps, um, they'll get to the end of the discovery call or the good one is the end of a product demonstration. Mm-hmm. Like, so what do you think next step should be? I don't, I, from a sales perspective, you always want to say typically based on our experience, if, if you want to talk next steps, we would send up a time within 72 hours of today, give you some time mm-hmm. to think it over, have internal discussions. And if everything is aligned with us being able to help solve for your use cases, goals yeah. and objectives, we can talk about ROI, pricing, implementation, everything there. Yeah, yeah, that's and really and nice. you pick the date, you say 72 hours, uh-huh. and this is kind of a, and let them push back. And if they say, no, can't do that. We need more time. That's fine. Mm. But when you leave it just completely open-ended, inevitably, somebody's going to give you a, a very artificial time frame, Like, ah, oh, call me in two weeks. Yeah. And then there's nothing on the diary. So that's the next thing
0: You lose an momentum yeah.
1: deal. And it, then you got to start asking yourself as the representative, why is it that they don't want to just, they're blowing me off and just saying two weeks. Hmm. Red flag should be going off in your mind
0: right there. See, a sales masterclass. It's not just sales operations here, right? This is a sales yeah. masterclass. <laughs> I'm conscious we didn't ask the audience. Do, do you have any questions come through? Okay, what have we got from James Nolan? Uh, what are the best metrics that provide coaching opportunities for junior sales?
1: Yeah. Thank you, James. Yeah, good question. Um, So depends on what you're looking to accomplish. So when people first started our organization in the first three months, we give them soft metrics. We're not asking them to actually set any opportunities. You know, if they do great, we'll give them credit for that, obviously. Mm -hmm. But it's more about learning our process. And so we actually will give commissions out if you just follow our process. So it's ironic that in sales you get paid to do, you get paid a basic to do just your job and then we'll put you on top of it just to do your job. (laughs) Um, but it's because we really want to drive the right behavior from the onset. How do you like metric wise, how do you know if someone's following the process? Yep. So basically we set all the targets and everything within clusters. So we look at all the typical KPIs. So, you know, uh, Calls to prospects, emails, how many active campaigns are running, how many people you have in those campaigns, mm-hmm. what's the uh, percentage of conversion rate across those. The reason why that's important to us is I let them kind of have some creativity so that if they want to create some messaging and it works really well, great, we'll emulate that across the business. Mm-hmm. So those are pretty standard. Um, some of the other things we look at, though, are how well are they at territory map. Um, So what we can look at is I can run a report in Salesforce and say, all right, show me all these accounts that have these missing fields. Mm -hmm. Um, So basically I don't know who the managing director is. I don't know their CRM. I don't know these basic principles on whether I can even sell to them. Mm Maybe. So we, and then have them targeted on that, being able to uncover new opportunities in the marketplace. We also target them on creating and finding new opportunities that aren't in the CRM. Yeah. Um, Really helping kind of coach them in the business development set set up from a sales perspective. You know, the first things that we start to look at are from a metric standpoint, hmm, we look first at, you know, how well they can They have to be demo certified and discovery certified before we'll let them actually ever yep. take a phone call. Um, but what we're really looking for on those metrics is how quickly do they convert a discovery call to a presentation because yeah. time kills all deals, right? Mm-hmm. So it's really about that last five minutes of a conversation is almost always the most pivotal. Uh-huh. And so is the first five. Kind of you, people tend to know what they want to show based on what they learned in the first five minutes. And then they just think that at the end, somebody's going to say, let me buy. Mm-hmm. That's never going to happen yeah. in most cases. So we look at, yeah, time to get someone moving through the process and the velocity of those deals. I think that's the big one for us. And then also how many opportunities are they create. And then also importantly, how much optionality do they have in their pipeline? So again, if you've created five opportunities in our average deal size is say 10,000 pounds, and these are all 100,000 thousand pound opportunities, Mm. I'm going to say congratulations, but that's six to nine months down the road. You've got nothing right now. Mm. Um, So we target them specifically on outreach to different size and segments of the market. So when I look at activity and I say, okay, you made 40 calls, that's great, but who do those 40 calls go to? You could have made 40 calls to one client. That's not going to be very Mm. productive. You could have made 40 calls to 40 different people. Probably also not that productive. Um, So we look for a concerted, concentrated effort around accounts, So the other thing that we do uh, to answer your question, James, is we create short lists in Salesforce. So prospect list one, prospect list two, and then a short list. So essentially every week they come in and they say, okay, I'm going to put 20 accounts into prospect list one, 20 accounts into prospect list two. There's an eight to 10 touch outreach campaign with that over the course of two weeks. And they alternate between prospect list one and prospect list two every day. Anyone that engages with any of the content moves to the short list. Mm-hmm. And that becomes something that they're more proactive and actually making more calls into yeah. and things like that. Nice.
0: Um, you're really deep, you can tell that you're like, yes. You're, yes. You're Hopefully you like about this. Yes. Um, <laughs> any, any more questions after we finish? Okay, so final question. Um if there's someone out there who really who you really look up to, specifically in sales operations, or who has taught you stuff about
1: that before? You know, I've it's interesting because when I first got into sales operations, it was by by way yeah. of people leaving the business, yeah, yeah, so I didn't have the uh, mentor. But as I mentioned, Dave had already set up a really good process, and mm-hmm. he we were such a close-knit group of uh, colleagues that I would call him up, and mm-hmm. I could still rely on him to be like, well, why did you do this? You know, How do I make the changes? I literally taught myself sales first from looking at YouTube videos, I so, really... which is scary for anybody to think that I have <laughs> sysadmin rights and yeah, yeah, own our CRM, yeah. but yeah, I I very cautious about what I do. And I make sure that if it is outside of my competencies you that get I, I someone get someone else. else. But, um, yeah. other than that, I've, I really honestly for sales operations relied on salespeople. Mm-hmm. I would go talk to them and be like, what do you hate the most? Nice. What They're do not you not like? Enough. Like and just seeing what they wanted and why and understanding and then telling them whether or not they were right. And we yeah. can make this more streamlined. But then I'd say in addition to that, um, there's a lot of good resources online, a lot of good people you can learn and connect with, uh, Jake, this uh, gentleman out here, Kyroia. Uh, what's the name? Sorry, Jake. Kyroia. Cool. Yeah. I think we actually have to have Jake line up for the customer. Perfect. So, yeah, he's a he's a fantastic guy. He's okay. really smart and switched on. So I actually been trying to schedule a lunch with him to pick no, his nice. brain for a little while. Yeah. Now. yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> um, awesome. Well, if anybody is intre- or if anyone works for a recruitment company, yeah, and they not are not currently using Q nineteen, then I highly recommend reaching out to matt.cube19.com. Matt, Matt that is correct. Cool. I highly recommend reaching out. Um, thanks so much for coming on. I felt like I learned a lot about both sales. I love that, that spiel that you did at the end. And also sales operations. I really like the thing about using Cluster. I actually shout out to Cluster for making a sweet tool. Comparing what best in class for you guys or, or like the, the normal flow is and then it, using that to judge your, the deals in Pipeline. We have a question. Okay, we got one more question, uh, Jay. Okay, <laughs> maybe we will. This is like a big one. Jay is actually on the line. Yeah, hey, Jay. Hey, Jay. How do you leverage cluster to forecast for the month or quarter? Do you ask your reps to forecast, and use that, or use analytics and conversion rates to make your own forecast? Now, Matt, we can answer this if we can contend it because I don't want to overrun into sixty seconds. Are you confident? I can do that. Sweet.
1: Thank you, Jay. You know, an American, we talk a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, thanks, Jay. Um, so yeah, we do it within cluster. And yeah, I always have the team first take a stab at what their forecast is, both in terms of commits and best case on a month and quarterly basis, um, because I want them to take some onus and responsibility. And so when they come to me and they're like, here's my number, we pick it apart. Why is, why is this a deal you're committing? Let's start with those ones that you feel really strongly about, um, and then see what risk may exist in the deal and how we can mitigate against that. We also look at time and stage. If you're committing a deal to me, that's been sitting in presentation for 50 days, I'm going to say, well, what makes you think they're going to engage with you now? Right. I know you did all this work and they said they were excited, but they've gone dark on you. Now something's going on there. And then the strategy we put into play for that. Um, and then we wait the pipeline, obviously. Um, so each stage has a different percentage of probability to close. Now, some people counter argue that and say, well, you can't get a percentage of a deal, but also, especially at the inside level, um, we have deals that will come in and we'll close in four days so you can't really forecast that yeah so because of those situations you have to wait the pipeline and so we have enough optionality across the pipeline we have 10 deals you know across five different stages i'll take the average of those add those up and say okay you're going to commit this number mm-hmm. you're not necessarily committing a deal at the beginning of the month list mm-hmm. for inside field and enterprise obviously they're very specific yeah. but yeah for inside it's again just committing based on the number nice
0: Awesome. We will finish that. I think that was that 60 seconds. I think so. so. (laughs) Um, Matt, again, thank you so much. Anybody uh, interested in Cube19, I will go to cube19.com or I'll drop Matt an email. Matt at cube19. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. If you are listening on a podcast listening application, then please subscribe, rate, and review. And if you have any questions about the show, if you know a guest, or if you have any questions about sales operations, just hit me up at tomhunt at ebster.com. That's tomhunt at ebster.com.